Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Well, I'm glad to be here today. I felt like I've known you guys for a long time, even though I haven't. Just pastoring just up the road, obviously, when everything happened with Harvey and all that was going on down here, we helped uh, from there do some stuff with you guys and throughout all of South Texas. And then uh, when everything happened with Sutherland Springs, um, I was in charge of logistics and we needed a ramp. And Andy had a ramp that someone had given for people down here that needed it, and he just donated that and came and showed up. And so I've known Andy and Kevin for a while, uh, didn't know you guys, and I'm glad to be here to see you uh, today. It's exciting for me. So um, I've got a lot to say today because we're covering 48 verses. So I'm going to talk fast. Everyone always asks me if I'm nervous. No, I just talk fast. So you just may want to be ready for that. If you have a Bible of any sort and you want to turn to Acts chapter 10, that would be very helpful for you uh, as we go forward. So today, really, the, the sermon today in a nutshell is simply going to be this, that God's going to move however he wants, whenever he wants, in any way that he wants to accomplish his purpose, and we're invited to join him in that and to see him move, even though it may be in ways that we don't expect. So that's where we're going to look today. To start with, I just want to reemphasize this reality that we see throughout Scripture, which is that there are two sides to everything that we experience. So there's first the physical. You can experience the physical right now in this room. You feel the chair that you're sitting in. You can feel the air conditioning. You can see the lights. But there's also a huge spiritual component that we're going through right now that we're not quite as aware of um, that, that the world that's happening in the world around us. I love the different Bible stories you have that talk about this. My, my favorite one is when um, the prophet is Elisha is in the city of Dothan and they're surrounded by an army that's out to kill him. And he walks outside because his servant is freaking out. And he's like, you don't need to stress out. And he's like, why not? And he prays that God would open his eyes to see what was happening spiritually. And he realized that there was an army of angels that surrounded the bad guys. So they were totally fine, even though it didn't feel totally fine at that moment. So we know that there's a spiritual component. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray the eyes, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I love that he says that your eyes spiritually have eyes that can be opened and Jesus would even say, he who has eyes to see, let him see. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So today, that's what we're going to do. Because I believe that right now, it can be very easy for us to be going throughout our life, to be going through things individually, as families, and as a church, and to not realize that you can close those spiritual eyes and ears very quickly and put something else in their place. So God is still speaking today, and I want us to hear him and to hear what he has to say I love the fact that God speaks in crazy different ways in the Bible. He uses angels who show up and always have to tell people not to be afraid because apparently it's very scary to see an angel. I love that he uses donkeys to talk to people when they're being hard-headed. That seems appropriate on many levels. I like that he uses walls falling to show people and to talk to people, that he uses the weather, all kinds of things. 
So today we're going to look at a wonderful example of how God chooses to speak in a way that nobody expected to accomplish something no one thought about, even though God had clearly from the beginning said this was the plan all along. So we're going to have to fly, jump into Acts chapter 10. Uh, The way this works, we're going to take a chunk, we'll talk about it, read it, talk about it, and kind of go forward from there, okay? There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him at all, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who's also named Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So we have a man named Cornelius. I appreciate that, being named Cornelius myself. And he is a soldier. He's in charge of roughly 100 men in a group of of a specialized group of people, about 600. This is where he lives and this is where he works As someone in that kind of authority and position, he would have been someone who had some money. He would have been someone that had some uh, social standing and people would have known who he was. He was a God-fearer, which meant that he liked things about the Jewish religion and he tried almost all of their practices, but he hadn't uh, been fully into the church yet. So he was still what's called a God-fearer. So he did two things. He prayed and he gave alms, which is the two biggest acts of piety that a Jewish person could do. And it says here in the scripture that when we find him, he's busy praying. It's crazy to me. I don't know. I'm not in the Bible. But if I was in the Bible, I would like for them to be able to say things like, and we found him at prayer because that was his normal habit. It'd be bad sometimes if they looked at some of our habits and said that's what they normally did. But for him, that's what he was doing. And he's praying in surprise. Guess what happens while he's praying? He gets an answer. This is a shock for most people because most people pray something like this. Imagine a phone call to God, so you dial God up and you pick the phone up and you start talking to God and you start listening to all the things that were going on. Uh, uh, we had a great prayer earlier, and he did that. He said, talk about God, all the things that going on with you. But then he correctly ended it by saying, and now be quiet and let, let God speak to you and see what he wants to say to you. Because a lot of times we just tell God what's wrong and then we hang up the phone. God's like, I, I was gonna tell you some things, but okay. And so we miss out a lot of times on what God wants to do in us because we just don't spend time being quiet and listening to what the Father has to say to us. So Cornelius is there, and this angel shows up in answer to his prayer, which still surprises him. We're always surprised when God answers our prayers, and he gets called by name. I love that. I love that. I love the fact that when when he showed up, he got called by name because you do know that God knows your name, right? Like, I know that you know that, but I think you forget it. So I just want to affirm for you today that God knows your name. Like, and if you're a believer, when you go home, he's not going to be like, hey, good to see you, Tom. We're glad to, that's not going to be how that works. He's going to see you and call you by name and be glad to see you. So in this case, he goes, Cornelius, we've heard all that you prayed, and it's a good prayer, and I want to answer your prayer. So here's what you need to do. Get some guys. I need you to send them 31 miles south to Joppa. Go down the certain road. At the end of that road, there's a guy named Simon. That's not the Simon you need. There's another Simon Peter inside of there. That's the guy you need. Go ask for him. And so he hears him and he does it, even though it sounds crazy. Here's a big takeaway from this. You you have to go, wait a minute. Um, That was really weird because it looks like God just talked in a vision to some guy. And I'd say, that's correct. You paid attention very well. That's exactly what happened in this passage. 
Well, but God doesn't do that anymore, right, is a question I'm often asked immediately after that. Well, I know that in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Peter quotes Joel 2, 28 and 29, which says this, after this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. So does God speak in visions? My answer is, if he wants to, he sure does. We know that because we see it in scripture in more than one place. And I will say this, that if God speaks in a vision, what he says will always match up with what scripture says. It's not gonna be something different. I've never had what I would necessarily term a vision, although I have had a couple instances where as I was praying, had some interactions with God that ended in ways that were very interesting. Uh, uh, literally a little over a year ago, well, I was praying uh, for Stephen Gaither, who pastors with me at McAllen, and he was at Zephyr leading a week of youth camp, and he was preaching that night. And so I was just praying for him, for God, the Spirit to fill him, to, to, to tell him what to tell the people. And as I was praying, I really felt impressed by the Holy Spirit that he needed to have a conversation with somebody. And that conversation was going to be for somebody who had a deep woundedness, and the deep woundedness was going to be over abuse. And that they, the abuse had happened around them and they thought that it was their fault and they thought that they were unloved because of that and that God was angry at them and that God says, I'm not angry and I don't hold it against them. I love them and I basically, I wanna restore them. So I called Stephen and he didn't answer, so I left a voicemail. Kind of glad he didn't answer. It was easier to leave a voicemail than try to explain that I was praying and kind of had this feeling that he was supposed to talk to some person who I didn't know about this thing that I'm not sure about, but I think. I was really excited though the next day because I had a voicemail from Stephen. He said, well, he said, I was looking and looking, he said, and I was leading a breakout in a class, and this lady came in and sat down and then left, and then came back and sat down and then left, and then she came back and sat down. He said, so he walked over to her, and he said, uh, what's going on? She goes, well, I don't know why I'm here. I don't really want to be here, but every time I try and leave, I feel like I'm supposed to be here. He says, let me ask you a question. Do you have a deep woundedness over abuse? And she goes, yes. How did you know? He goes, let me play this voicemail for you, and he played the voicemail for her. And what had happened to her was that she had fostered, and one of the foster kids she brought in had abused one of her kids. And she had always thought that it was her fault, and she had held this blame. And, and as she listened to that, she just started crying, and Stephen was able to pray with her, and she was able to understand that God knew her name. And then God knew what had happened, and God loved her and didn't hold her responsible for that. And we found out months later, she has actually even started a ministry now that helps people that are walking through things like this. So does God speak in visions? If he wants to, he sure does. And today in scripture, this is what he does. So Cornelius hears this vision, and even though it's kind of crazy, he goes, I want to do what God says, so he does it. By the way, that's really good advice. All right, so let's read verses 9 through 16. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened. And an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners of the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth, and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I've never eaten anything impure and richly unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. So it's lunchtime, lunch is not ready, so Peter goes up on the roof and he falls asleep as most of us do when we're hungry and waiting on food. And when he does, he has this crazy dream. 
He has this dream that there's a sheet and it's got all these different kinds of animals on it and the sheet comes down in front of him and, and, and God tells him, hey, get up, kill these animals and you can eat them. And he's like, whoa, that's, that's not true. You've told us that some of these animals we can't eat, we can't eat the shrimp, we can't eat the pork. And so I'm not gonna do that. And let me just summarize basically what God says to him. He goes, um, if I change the rules, we go with my changed rules. We don't go with what they were before. So just so you know, I'm the rule maker. That's the way that it works. So this happens three times to really drive home to Peter that this is the way that it works. And that's what Peter experiences. And so the takeaway from there is you have to say, wait, so God talks in dreams? He just did. That's what he does. It's not the only time in scripture that we seize it. God does whatever he wants, however he wants. Well, does God speak in dreams today? I would say yes. I mean, we see throughout Scripture over and over and over people having dreams. I know that I've got friends that are missionaries in the Middle East with the International Mission Board, and they tell me all the time about people in Muslim countries that walk up to them and say, hey, can you help me? I keep having this dream, and it's about this guy, and he keeps telling me about forgiveness and sin and what it takes to be right with God. And they're having dreams through the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And a lot of these people are getting saved. And we have tons of reports of God doing that. And it's not the first time he's done something like that. If God wants to do that, God can and will speak through dreams. Again, it's always gonna match up in scripture. And I say, well, wait a minute. Aren't there all those rules in the Old Testament about that you can't eat those things? So did God go against scripture? And I would say, no. Because while God did institute those laws for Israel, at the same time, he kept hinting, and not so indirectly hinting over and over, that there was going to be a mission for all humanity. Jesus himself in Matthew 21, 13, quotes Isaiah 56, 7, when they're talking about who can pray in the temple, and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So God's already hinting that he's going to change his own rules and make it go this way. So God speaks in dreams, and if that makes you uncomfortable, that's really more your problem than it is Scripture's problem, because we need to adjust ourselves to Scripture, not try and take Scripture and adjust it to us, right? All right, so let's keep going. Look at verse 17 through 23. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he'd seen might mean, right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit told him, there are men here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message for you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day, he got up and set out with him, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. So I love it. Peter is confused. He's had this weird dream, and he can't make heads or tails of it at this point in time. And he's trying to figure it out. And while he's trying to figure it out, he's taking too long because there's some men he needs to go see. So the Holy Spirit speaks audibly to Peter and says, Peter, go downstairs. There's some guys that you need to let inside the house. So let's stop and say, so God can do that too? Yes, he can also choose to speak that way if he chooses to do that. Scripture's full of that. So Peter goes downstairs and he meets the guys and he invites them in to spend the night and he decides to head out with them the next day. And for us, that's not a big deal, but you don't understand what a big deal this was. Okay, there's a couple things that happen here that should blow your mind. Number one, it says that the men stopped and asked for directions and that's never happened anywhere else in the Bible. (laughs) 
Secondly, secondly, the fact that, that where they are, they're in a place that's been invaded by a superpower, right? And one of those soldiers and two of his friends come to the door. That's not people you let in. They're scary. They're unsafe. Who knows what could happen? Why would you let them in your house unless God has spoken and said, let these people in? And so Peter takes a risk and he lets these people in, even though from the physical side, it says danger, the spiritual side says opportunity. God is working. Peter doesn't know how. Peter doesn't know in what way, but Peter wants to be a part of it. Here's the big takeaway from that. You go where the Spirit leads, not where your thoughts or feelings lead. Let me say that again. You go where the Spirit leads, not where your thoughts or feelings lead. I'm sure Peter had some fear, had some uncertainty, and had some doubt, but he didn't go with those things. He went with what God said. John 6, 63, Jesus says this, The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, listen to what God says and don't really trust yourself that much. All right, in Proverbs, we put it this way. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. So those are really our options. Go with life or go with death. We can go where God leads or we can go to a way that ends in death. So that means when God says to do something and to go somewhere, that means we are not allowed to have ifs. We don't get any ifs. No, I'll do that if it makes sense. I'll do that if it's comfortable. I'll do that if it's where I want to go. I'll go there if it's when I want to go. We just surrender and say, if you say it, I trust you because you love me and you call me by name and you have the best plan for me. And even though it doesn't make sense and it's not comfortable and it's not where I'd pick, I believe you've got a good reason for it and you're going to work it toward my good. So let's go there and do what you say. This is not easy. It's just not. It's gonna require you putting what you think and what you feel to the side and saying that's not as important. So what God says, it's gonna be you putting aside what you see in front of you and the things that make the most sense to you and saying, I'm gonna put that aside to go with what God says. That's not very easy. Following Jesus a lot of times isn't easy. I just wanna make that clear but it's really good. So let's read what happens next. Verse 24 through 33. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting him and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. And Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who's also named Peter. He's lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So I immediately sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you've been commanded by the Lord. So Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, and he's invited like everybody in the hood. I mean, they're all there, all the neighbors, everybody shows up to hear what Peter has to say, and immediately it gets really awkward. Peter walks in, Cornelius kind of falls down to the ground, starts worshiping him. Peter's like, please, please don't do that. That is really not appropriate. And he, he stands up and he says, I'm just a man. 
Um, but I get it. I mean, if an angel appeared to me and said, send for a guy, I might act funny when he got there too. So they come in and, and Peter says, look, uh, normally I wouldn't have come here because this isn't how it works. The Jewish law says I'm not supposed to associate with people like you. But God gave me this dream using animals and sheets and stuff. And I realized what he was saying was, if I tell you that these people are part of the family, they're part of the family. So I don't get to pick who gets to be part of the family. God gets to do that. And so I'm here and I don't really know why you want me here. So tell me, what do you need? So Cornelius starts talking. He goes, well, crazy thing. I was there. Angel appeared, sent for you. And now we just want to hear what does God want you to say to us? So let's talk about what's going on here because it's not what everyone expected, although maybe they should have. Because in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus makes it really clear as he's going back to heaven what he expects us to do, right? To go and to make disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. He's been super, super clear on that. They got the Jerusalem part like almost immediately. Pentecost, spirit comes down. They're doing really good there. They, they kind of go through Judea because some... Um, uh, Stephen gets killed and they get kicked out a little bit. Then they basically make it to Samaria because Philip's running for his life and God breaks out and the Samaritans get saved and now God has had to nudge them along into what's happening here with the Gentiles. See, God is so big and he's doing so much and we can't see it if we look at it with just human eyes. Who would have thought that a little bit of persecution and the killing of Stephen in the grand scheme of things would prove that Romans 8.28 is right? That God can work all things to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Even Stephen's death has now served to accomplish Acts 1.8. Stop and think about how that works. Following Jesus is hard, but it's good. Right? We know that with Stephen. Even though Stephen gets killed for his faith, at the end, what happens? He looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And if you were to ask Stephen right now, Stephen, would you come back and do it differently? He would laugh at you and go, are you insane? If we will abide in Christ and throw aside what we just think we need to do and listen to what God is saying, and if we will share and pray, then a plan often starts to pop out that was we start realizing what God is doing. See, my favorite thing about this story is that Cornelius had part of the plan, right? He knew that God was going to do something. He had a group of people that were ready and willing to believe and just didn't quite know what to believe. And Peter had part of the plan. He had the gospel. He had the hope of who Jesus was that these people were waiting to believe in. And it's when you get those two together and they start sharing about what God is doing and how God is working that suddenly God shows up and you see God's plan comes to fruition. And you wonder why we have church. Because God wants to reach people with the truth of the gospel. And when we say he wants to use the church, we don't mean... Um, the building and everything else, we mean you walking with Jesus. And as you read the word and as you spend time with the Father, him, him putting desires on your heart that you can't quite explain, and as you meet up with each other and you talk about it, I go, you know, as I pray, I just, I keep feeling that maybe this direction. And someone else goes, you know, that's so funny. When I pray, I think maybe this direction too. And the next thing you know, everyone's like, that direction? But that's, we were gonna go this direction. Man, if God keeps saying that, maybe we should go that direction. Do you see how this starts to work? This is how church is supposed to be. Us individually listening to the Father, then us corporately going, hey, what's the Father doing? And we all get in line behind what the Father's doing, even if it goes a different way than we think that it will, because we can trust the Father. The plan's probably not going to be what you expect. It's probably not going to be what you've planned for. 
For Peter, he didn't expect soldiers and Gentiles and foreigners to become part of the family, but that's what's going on. God's about to make a massive movement in his kingdom. How horrible would it have been if Peter had said, no, I'm just not going, man. Those guys are creepy. They eat weird food. They talk kind of funny, and I just, I don't like them. People are gonna look at me weird if I go with them. What if Peter had said, hey, the tradition of my people are more important than those people? What if Peter said, my plans for myself is more important than those people? What if Peter said, my comfort is more important than those people? You guys realize that we're Gentiles, right? You realize that we have like a stake in this story. (laughs) This is huge for us. Man, what will we miss if we only look physically and not spiritually? Fortunately, God is able to work through our hard-headedness and bring us together for his glory. Look what happens next. It's the best part of the story. Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand. God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who are under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Peter goes, I get why I'm here. I I understand there's there's a simple little thing that you need to hear and it's what we call the gospel and it's the core of all that we believe. And so he makes it super simple. He goes, hey, you need to understand God plays no favorites. He doesn't love you any less than he loves the Jews. He looks at all people who are all made in his image, who he created, uh, who, who he called by name before they were born, and he loves them all equally. And they've all messed up, and they've all sinned, and because of that, they've been separated from God by their own choice and by their own decisions. And yet in that, God loved them so much that he wanted to rescue them from the tyranny of sin and death that they'd enter into on their own. And so he sent his son, Jesus. But they killed Jesus. But it was okay because at the cross he did this wonderful thing where he took our sins upon himself and offered forgiveness if we would just believe. And even the grave wasn't strong enough to hold him because three days later he rose again. And Peter says, I know because I was there. The night before I betrayed him. And the day of I stood at a distance because I couldn't get close because I was too ashamed. And three days later I was the one that entered the tomb. And I was the one that saw the empty grave close. And he goes, and weeks later I was the one on the boat fishing when Jesus called my name. And I went ashore and he restored me. And I'm telling you, he'll restore you too. If you will believe in him, you can find freedom. See, that's what God's ultimate plan is that he's working for in all of us, whether we realize it or not. He is always moving and always speaking to tell people that there is freedom in Jesus. Spiritually, this is always happening. God is moving and working to set people free. It's his highest priority healing our brokenness and our woundedness, inviting anyone who would come to be part of the family and to find hope and healing in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit is, there is freedom. Not more rules, not more plans, 
Not more shame, not more guilt, but freedom. Peter goes, what you need to know is you can find freedom in Jesus, guys. It's available to you. God sent him and he's the way back. And if you'll believe in him, it'll change everything. 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. So Peter's still preaching. And the Holy Spirit's like, that's, that's probably good. That's probably good. I'll take it from here. And, and while he's still preaching, the physical reality of him telling the truth is suddenly evident in truth itself showing up and dropping down on these people who have believed. And the Holy Spirit comes and it fills the Gentiles just like it had filled the Samaritans, just like it had filled the disciples in the upper room at Pentecost. It's Acts 1-8 being fulfilled right then and there. And Peter sees it and Peter's like, oh, <laughs> I've seen this once or twice before. I know what's going on here. And when he talks, it's great. He goes, okay, um, everybody, I think we can all agree we know what this is. You're now part of the family, whether you like it or not. We need to get some water because these people need to get baptized as soon as possible. Because they're part of the family now, even though they've been foreigners when you enter the house. Now they're family. Because people who've been set free are always family. And then I love the fact that he stays with them. He doesn't like go home the next day. It says they ask him to stay and he's like, yeah, man, let's, let's get to know each other. Let's do life together. What happened in that room right there was simply Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Peter testifies the truth. They hear it, they believe, boom, saved, just like that. That was the spiritual reality that God had set in motion way before when he put Peter where he put Peter at Simon's house, when he put Cornelius in the upper room. When he, when he made it where Cornelius first got interested in Judaism, whoever it was that had spoken to him and interested him, and we could keep tracing it backwards and backwards and backwards, realizing that God's plan had started years before for that very moment. And I love that God did this supernaturally. He used dreams and visions and, and speaking. And I love that he did it naturally through people coming and talking and using words and interacting and praying. God does this because he wants to involve all of us in his plan for hope and healing. Now, I admit it's a peculiar thing. There's some stuff missing that in church today, we might go, well, I don't know about that. I mean, these guys didn't walk the aisle. They didn't, they didn't suddenly get submitted for church membership at the end of this. Um, they didn't pray the sinner's prayer. I say, no, but no, <laughs> I didn't see any of that in scripture either. That's interesting. They did believe Jesus and confessed him and immediately they got saved and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And isn't that what we really want anyway? God will always move and work in his own ways, in his own terms. And when he does, life and freedom break out on the people that are around when that happens and it splashes over everyone around them. Do you want to be a part of that? That's the invitation. Do you want to be a part of that? See, this has got to be your reality if you're going to be a believer, that God is always moving and he's always moving however he wants, wherever he wants, doing whatever it is that he wants. 
There's no person, there's no nation, there's no church that is out of limit or bounds for God to do any of that. And he, what he wants is hope and healing by freedom through Jesus. Even though he's gonna use ways that you wouldn't have picked and he's gonna probably take you to people that you never would have thought. But he's gonna do it because he wants to bring freedom. So here's the question. Do you wanna do things your way and come up with the best that you can plan, the best that you can decide? Do you wanna do your best for God or do you wanna throw all that out the window? Listen to the Father, jump in where he's moving, even if it's scary, even if it's unknown, even if it's uncertain, and the opposite of what you thought it would be. I think Henry Blackaby had a right in experiencing God when he wrote this. He says, you can't stay where you are and go with God. It's just not possible. But you can follow God. The thing is what Jesus tried to tell us to do. Come, follow me, and I will give you rest. So your plans end in tiredness and frustration. If you follow God's plan, it ends in rest. I really have this feeling that some of you this morning have got some plans you've been working for a long time. And you get frustrated because they keep turning to sawdust in your mouth. And I really feel like there's an invitation from the Holy Spirit today for you to just come and to go, hey, what if I give that to you and instead I get rest? Jesus put it this way. He said, come to me all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will take my yoke upon you for my burden is light. I wonder how many of you need to trade some burdens today and to take what God wants to offer you even though it's not what you're expecting. Let's pray.